Hope everybody's having a good week. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 4. Let's uh, pray before we start the message. Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity we've had to worship you in song so far. We ask that you will be with us as we look at your word and, and what you would have us to learn from it and just guide and lead. And we thank you for each person here today. In your son's name, amen. amen. All right, Galatians chapter 4, starting at verse 11. I am afraid for you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as you are. Ye have not injured me at all, but you know how through infirmity in the flesh I preached the gospel unto you in, at the first. And my temptation which was in my flesh ye despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where then is the blessedness you, sp you spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? All right. We're looking at this, and we're starting at verse 11, even though we covered it last week, where Paul says, I'm afraid for you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. And we talked about how he was, the Galatians had started listening to false teachers. Uh, they had left the truth of, truth of the gospel of grace message and had people telling them they needed to live under the law and follow rules. And Paul's saying, you know, I, did I waste my time? I'm afraid that I wasted my time with you. And so we're going to continue there in verse 12. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as you are. You have not injured me at all. Paul is encouraging the Galatians to follow his example. And we all need people's examples to follow. And we've talked about discipleship. The people that we look to to say, how do we act in a Christian manner? And for all of us who have kids, we should teach our kids how to walk by example. And I've shared the examples of different things. You know, how do we react when we're driving down the highway a little too fast and the blue lights come on behind us? <laughs> okay. Especially if our kids are in the car, how do we act? We teach them to honor authority. And how do we react when the police are behind us? Oh, what are these guys doing wasting my time? And we start getting all uptight and upset about it. Or do we say, okay, I was wrong. <laughs> we'll find out what they're going to do. You know, and we all have been there. We've all done it probably the right way and the wrong way, <laughs> depending on our experience. But our kids watch us. <laughs> our kids watch us. If you tell somebody that you're a Christian, they're watching you. How do you react when something goes wrong? You know, are, are, are the police at your door knocking because you're having a fight with your, your spouse? <laughs> you know, I, I know a couple of houses on my street that almost every week there's a, a police car sitting outside at least once or twice a week on those houses because they're arguing and fighting. Now, they're not necessarily claiming to be Christians, but those who know you're a Christian, they're looking at you. How do you deal with life problems? And this is where we as Christians can really shine up when we're walking with God and we're, we're given an example and people look at us and say wow you're, you're different now they might also say that we're strange and weird <laughs> which we're supposed to be because we are different we are different from the way the world thinks and to be called strange and weird and, and crazy might be is worth it as long as it's for Christ if you're just being weird and crazy that's not worth it but if it's for Christ, it's a great thing. When I was work in the work world, I had more than one person always come up to me, how can you keep smiling or be okay with all this stuff going on? And it's like, 
great opportunity. I got to tell them about Jesus <laughs> and him being in my heart. And they opened the door, so they couldn't say it was a problem. <laughs> so we want to look at this. Paul is saying, be like I am. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew the law. And he's teaching them, Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus fulfilled the law, and we live under grace. And we've talked over and over. That does not mean the law is worthless, that the law is of, of no value. And we've talked about the more we have God in us, the more we're going to obey the law because he is going to work out of us. And we will look back over our life and say, wow, I'm actually keeping this stuff. And it's not through striving and work. It's because God is working out of through me. Amen. He gets inside me. He fills me. Mm -hmm. And he says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. He changes who we are, and we become different. Yeah. And, it, and I hope you understand that. You hope when you look back over your life, you look back and you say, I am a different person than I was a year ago, two years ago, four years ago. And I hope that it's not because of your own striving. It's God working out through you. Because that's what the value is. If anything I do, even if it's good and I do it in my own flesh, God says it's worthless. So it has to be him. Yes. It has to be. We get crucified. Our flesh gets crucified and he works his way out. And Paul says, be like me. And then he goes on to say, you have not injured me. You know, every teacher of the Bible, every pastor who's a good pastor, pours their heart out to their people. And we hope that they're going to listen and move forward. And it's heartbreaking when you watch people not listen and not move forward, or appear to be not moving forward. And it breaks the heart. And Paul said, you're not injuring me, because each person has to learn at their own pace, their own way of doing it. And we all have, praise God, have had that opportunity in our life, hopefully, where people have let us grow at our own place. God has a plan for each one of us individual. He doesn't have a one-size-fits-all plan. He doesn't say, here's your steps. <laughs> and sometimes you might say, it would really be wonderful if he gave us a, here's step one, here's step two, here's step three. But in the essence, it wouldn't be good because every one of us come from a different background. I grew up most of my life as a Christian. I've met people who have gotten saved in later years who have had their wife ruined through drugs and alcohol and, and promiscuity. They could never start the same steps I did, and I didn't need to start the steps they did. God has a plan for us. Now, the part of the plan has to include getting into his word. Amen. If you're not in his word, you're in trouble because you're not going to grow. You cannot grow without being in God's word. Right. Second part is being in his fellowship with his people. And, and I've said this over and over. Coming to church is not the end all of getting, uh, being, being victorious. But it sure helps a lot. <laughs> it helps to be with his people, yes. be built up, be edified, listen to what they, how God is talking to them, have somebody you can call on when, when there's problems. And it is true that birds of a feather flock together. If you're, if you're going to hang around Christians, you're going to be more Christian-like in your actions. If you want to hang around the world, you're going to be like the people you hang around. And it doesn't mean that we totally isolate ourselves from the world. We're, we're called to give the gospel. And it's hard to give the gospel out if you don't know anybody who's in the world. We need to be out in the world. But our best friends, the one we, ones we hang out, probably shouldn't be the world. Because they will pull us down. <coughs> they will pull us down. 
And Paul goes on to say in verse 13, but you know that through the infirmity of the flesh, I preached the gospel unto you at first. And there's two, diff two different views of this, of this verse. Some say it was, that Paul was a very sickly man because of all the punishment that he took. And I don't doubt that. A man who had been stoned on multiple occasions and locked into prisons and scourged. He probably wasn't the most physically strong person you could imagine. But I also think that he was talking more about the fact that pastors aren't perfect. <laughs> you know, it's amazing how many times you meet somebody and they expect pastors to have this, this aura about them, never do anything wrong. And then when a pastor does something wrong, <laughs> there's this shock. <laughs> how could he do that? He's, he's the, the, the man of God in the church. <laughs> well, he's also a sinner saved by grace in, in the church. That's right. So you know, and we hope that nobody ever does that, but I know people do it. I know that all I have to do is tell somebody I'm a pastor of a church and immediately there's a difference in the way they act and behave and look at me. You know, uh, and it's not that I've judged them or anything, it's just God is in this place. And all of a sudden there's a difference. And there should be a difference when any of us come into a situation. If they know we're a Christian, God's presence comes with us. Yes. I've shared, I had a store one time that had had an area supervisor who was a foul-mouthed person in every other store, and he came to my store, and he never swore. Okay, And I had never once told him, you can't speak that way in my store. But I was there. <laughs> I brought God in the store. I prayed for my store. I prayed for my employees. God's presence was in that store. I didn't have to sit there and tell him, you have to behave yourself professionally in my store. He just knew because of the Spirit of God. That's right. Do we bring that Spirit of God in our, in our situations with us? When we go places, do we bring the Spirit of God into the situation with them? Do people feel guilty without you having to say anything? I've seen that happen in more than one case where people are starting to say things and then they'll just shut up and they don't even know why. They don't even know why. Not because I'm saying you can't use the Lord's name in vain or you can't talk that way. God's presence is there. And I hope you know when you're in God's presence because it's important. It's important. I love, I used to go to go places and, and I would be at a group and some kind of activity that I didn't want to be for work. And I'm going, God, I need to have some Christians around me today. And within a few minutes, I would find Christians in that, in that group. Amen. We would draw each other to, to ourselves. Do we have that same place? We're, we're, we're looking toward the end days. There's going to be a time when we're going to have to know who people who are Christians and who aren't Christians without even being able to ask. It's going to take the discernment of the Holy Spirit, taking the Holy Spirit, learning to discern the Holy Spirit. Because times are going to get tough. There's going to come a time when we won't be able to meet in this building. And it's just around the corner. I believe totally it's just around the corner when we will be meeting in somebody's house or out in the field someplace because the government's going to make it difficult for us to meet as Christians. Be ready. Prepare yourself. And I know I'll hear people go, well, they've been saying it's just around the corner for, for thousands of years. And you're right. They have been. It's closer today than it was a thousand years ago. But I think we're really close. When you look at the book of Revelation, you look at Ezekiel, you look at Daniel, and you look at what's going on today, there's no question 
that he's just around the corner. Could it still be decades or centuries long? It's possible, but I, I kind of doubt it. Can you imagine how bad this world's going to be 100 years from now? Yes. As bad as it is now, <laughs> where they're telling us that good is bad and bad is good, and, and if you're following God, you're a terrible, terrible, judgmental hater of people. Imagine what it's going to be if God waits 100 years. Could there be a revival? I pray for a revival. Yeah. I'm not sure that we will have a revival other than small pockets of churches having revivals. I pray for it. I'd love to see it. If, it, if we had a revival, it would push the end, end time off a couple of decades. And that would be great. I'm not opposed to that either. But I really think we're at the end times, and I think we're going to see Jesus return. If I'm wrong, that's praise God. I'm wrong. I'll die and go to heaven anyway. Amen, amen. If he returns, I get to not die and get to go to heaven. <laughs> Either way, I win, and you win. So it's not a problem. But Paul is saying, you're not injuring me by doing this. You're not, you're not hurting me. He says, verse, that he preached the gospel. Verse 14, and my temptation, which was in my flesh, he despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel from God. And this temptation literally is trial. And again, this could be a bodily, physical trial. And it, there's people that say he had bad eyes and, and couldn't see. And there's indications in the scripture that his eyes sight was bad. It could also have been that he had some besetting sin that he had trouble with. And every time he turned around, he was falling on whatever that sin might be. And we don't know, but there was something that would lead the people to be able to despise him and say, what kind of man is this that is teaching us? You know, and yet they understood that he was saved by grace. This is important for us to understand, that we are saved by grace. It keeps us from judging other people, because if I'm saved by grace and they're saved by grace, then who am I to say, why do you have such a problem? Because if you want to judge somebody's problem, God will make sure you have a problem that they can do the same thing for you. And it may even be the same problem. Yes. Might even be the same problem. Just to prove to you that you're not as strong as you think you are. And Paul's saying, you loved me in spite of my, in spite of my trials, in spite of my problems. If it was physical, it might have been that he couldn't stand, you know, had a hard time getting to service. You know, could have been any number of things, but for something in there that made them look and say, that they could have looked and said, this man just isn't, isn't good enough to be our teacher. You know, look at all the problems he has. And ideally, yes, a pastor shouldn't have a lot of problems. <laughs> you know, if you've got a problem, a pastor who's drinking at the bar every every weekend and running around with prostitutes and, and lying and cheating. You've got somebody who shouldn't be a pastor. But should a pastor be perfect? Can't, can't happen. You know, it's, it's like the person looking for a perfect church. And the old joke goes that if you find a perfect church, don't start attending because you'll ruin it. <laughs> you know, you know, and we all know that, don't we? We all know that we have problems. You know, so if you ever do find the perfect church, just Stay away from it, because there's probably only one person in that church anyway, and they're not perfect either. So, but Paul is saying, you would have, and then he goes on to say, where is the blessedness that you speak of? I bear record, for if it had been possible, you would have plucked your own eyes out and given them to me. Now, this is either an idiom saying you're, you would take your most precious part of your body, the, your sight, and give it to him, or you literally had a physical problem, and that's why people lean to a, some physical problem. And I'm not going to argue one way or the other, because if it was a physical problem, he still had the same thing. He was weak. He was weak in their eyes. He was sick. A man who prayed for people and they got healed, and then they look at him and he's sick. 
you know, how, that would be wonderful. I can pray for you. You're going to be healed, but I can't pray for myself. And Paul said he prayed for this thorn on his flesh. Whatever bothered him, he prayed for it. And on the third time, God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Quit praying about it. It is what it is. And he said it kept him humble. And, and this is what we want to look at. God is going to make sure we stay humble. The day you think that you're strong and can get by on your own, look out. Because something will happen. We don't know what it will be, but something will happen to bring you down and say that you're human. In Proverbs are told, pride goes before the fall. You build yourself up and you say, I can do this. Our flesh can't do anything successfully forever. We might be able to discipline it, say, okay, you're going you're to be disciplined for a period of time, maybe even a long time if you're really disciplined. But at some point, the flesh is going to say, I'm tired of being disciplined. Yes. I'm tired of you telling me what I can and can't do, and I'm going to do what I want to do. Which is why in Galatians 2.20, we've talked about this, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Our flesh has to be crucified. It is not to be disciplined. It is not to be put under control. It must be crucified to be put under the blood of Christ so that Christ can live victorious in that area. It, and that is where we have. And that's where victory comes from, our flesh being crucified. Who I am, who I want to be, is killed. And Paul tells us... You know, he said in, in Romans, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I want to do. Oh, wretched man that I am. We all face that same problem. If our flesh is not crucified, our flesh is going to rear its ugly head up and say, we're going to do things I want to do. I'm going to be mean to this person. I'm going to say bad things about this person. I'm going to gossip. I'm going to lie. I'm going to do whatever other sin you might have had that the flesh likes. It needs to be crucified. We need to be fellowshipping with God. And you know, I've said it over and over. When, when, when the lost world gets, does something bad or evil or mean, it doesn't surprise me. They're sinners. They're sinners. I expect the lost world to be mean, nasty, and, 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 and all that. When a Christian does something that's mean, nasty, and, and not nice, I also know that they're sinners. <laughs> You know, and I know it's going to happen. I know ideally it shouldn't happen because of, God, because of God and His grace, but I know that it's going to happen. When somebody gets uh, nasty with you, how do you respond? Well, if you realize that they're just a sinner, you should be able to give them grace. Now, am I saying I do this perfectly all the time? Absolutely not. <laughs> I'm human. My flesh rears up. When somebody's mean to me, sometimes I will strike back. But for the most part, it's stuck in my mind. This is their flesh rearing up. This is their flesh. They need grace. They need love. And it's important for us to be able to give that to them because grace is going to be what changes people. And we said this over and over. I can pile law on somebody all I want and then keep piling law and keep piling law. It's not going to change their life completely. They may be able to put their flesh under the, under the discipline and obey for a while, but you give them grace, and let God work on their heart. Let God make the change. And you see miracles happen. You see people give up sins that they thought they'd never give up because God is in their heart changing them. Not because I said, no, you, shouldn't, you can't do that. But here's God's word. Learn to live it. 
As Christians, we hear the phrase all the time, love the sinner and, and hate the sin. We can't do it until we absolutely understand that they are a sinner. They are a sinner. That's who we are. Every one of us in this room even, if we know Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, we're still a sinner. We're just saved by grace. God has given us his grace. He's come into our life. He put our sin under the blood of Jesus Christ. He came into our life to fellowship with us. And he changes who we are. He kills the flesh. He, he builds the spirit. And we get to live in victory. Is it possible to live without sinning? Technically, it's possible. It's not going to happen. Because you'd have to keep your flesh crucified every moment of every day. And you'd have to have God working out of your life every moment of every day with your flesh crucified. Technically possible. In reality, it'll never happen. It'll never happen, unfortunately, until we go to heaven and God glorifies us and says, I've taken the sin nature away, and I'm, I'm going to make you perfect as I said you are. And even in heaven, our righteousness will be the righteousness of Christ. When we stand in heaven, we will be there only because of his righteousness. It's a powerful thing. It's his righteousness. When God looks at us and we're saved, we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, God looks at us and he sees Jesus Christ's righteousness. We have to understand that. When he looks at us, that's what he sees. What do we see when we look at each other? We should be seeing the righteousness of Christ if we're going to see people in a godly manner. Unfortunately, we don't always do that. But the challenge in our minds should be to see the righteousness of Christ on, the, on Christians. Because that is the only way that they're acceptable to God. The, la the last part of the verse that, we read, that I read here is, Paul says, Am I therefore become your enemy because I have told you the truth? <laughs> Sometimes pastors and teachers and even fellow brothers and sisters have to say things that might hurt people. And we're not saying it to hurt them. We're, we're going to say it because it is sin. Even though I'm going to love the person who sins, I'm not going to say that their lifestyle is acceptable. I'm going to accept them for who they are. If somebody comes in this church and they're, they're practicing in sin, I'm going to still love them. I want them here so they can hear the word of God. Now, if they're trying to bring everybody into their sin, now we've got a problem. <laughs> but as long as they're here to hear the word of God and to try to grow, I want them here. Am I going to say that adultery is okay? No. Am I going to say homosexuality is okay? No. Am I going to say that lying and cheating and stealing are okay? No. Am I going to say that fornication is okay? No. Am I going to kick somebody out of the church because they're practicing those things? No. <laughs> Unless they're trying to get other people to join them in their sin. Then we've got a problem because they're trying to hurt the sheep. But Paul is saying, I taught the truth. Are you going to be mad at me because I taught the truth? Sometimes toes get stepped on. <laughs> And it's not just me stepping on toes, it's to give people God's word. We cannot grow unless we're reading his word. Paul, Paul in this book has already said, how would you know sin if the law wasn't there? You wouldn't know that you had sinned until somebody said you're not allowed to do such and such. And this is true. We are sinners and we sin and we need to know that we've sinned because of God's word. So I just want to encourage encourage us we need to learn to see each other in the righteousness of Christ we need to learn to see ourselves in God's righteousness how many times have you met somebody or maybe you've done it yourself you just say I can't forgive myself for what I've done God's already forgiven it 
God's already forgiven it. Live in the righteousness of Christ. When Satan comes to accuse you and say, you're a terrible, rotten, lousy example for a Christian, you can say, you know, Satan, you're absolutely right, but I'm, I'm, my sin's under the blood of Christ, I'm righteous, and I have the righteousness of Christ on me, and I'm going to heaven. Because he's telling you a fact, isn't he? Every one of us, it's a fact that we're probably a lousy, terrible, rotten sinner. At least in God's eyes. Maybe in the world's eyes, we may not be all that bad. But according to God's standard, anything less than perfection is a terrible, rotten, lousy sinner deserving hell. And we can say, God, Satan, you're right. It is a fact that I'm a terrible, rotten sinner. But the truth is, the truth is I'm under the blood of Jesus Christ. I have his righteousness on me. I'm going to heaven. And if you really want to put it in his face, then you're not going there. <laughs> you know, but we want to be able to look at that. How do we see it? So if we start seeing ourselves that, then we can start looking at others that way. Can you imagine how we would be dealing with each other as a church if we all got together and realized that we all, if we have Christ in us, and we treated ourselves in that way, what a difference the church would be, what a koinonia fellowship we'd have, that loving, close fellowship that we would have because of his love that we've seen each other in the way he sees us. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity. Lord, we ask that you help each person here see themselves as you see them. Lord, if there's anyone here that is not saved, Lord, we ask that they look to you now, confess that they are a sinner, confess that they deserve punishment, and that they need your sacrifice and your covering of their sin. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.